0: Hear the word of the Lord. When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. Three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders. He said to them, "'Brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government, even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors.'" I asked you to come here today so that we could get acquainted, and so I could explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. So a time was set, and on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. Some were persuaded by the things he had said, but others did not believe. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. Peace be with you. Well, here we are at the tail end of the book of Acts, which is like the origin story of the Christian church. We're going to try to finish strong today, and in fact, that is the theme of today's sermon, finishing strong. But I have to tell you, Acts ends very weirdly. It's uh, anticlimactic, it would seem. Acts is a book filled with dramatic conversions and uh, lots of miracles and uh, tragedies, even, uh, adventure. Last week, Pastor James preached about a storm at sea and a shipwreck. And now we come to the very end of Acts, and Paul's in, in prison. He's under house arrest. He's being guarded by a Roman soldier, uh, and they're forcing him to pay for the house that he's arrested in. And that's pretty much it. Uh, we give, we're given no hint of resolution. Is Paul going to be executed? Are they going to release him Are they just going to leave him there to rot? Acts ends and and we don't have answers to these questions. In fact, if the book of Acts were a movie and we were sitting in a theater watching it and all of a sudden it, it ended this way and the credits started rolling, we'd be like, come on, like, there's got to be a sequel, right? Surely they're planning a sequel. They thought you'd do more money than the first one or something. So there's going to be a sequel next summer, right? But there's no sequel. That's just the way it ends. And because of the way it ends, it speaks to those of us who feel like maybe we're frustrated in life because we're we're not seeing enough wins in our lives. I can remember. So coming up in in two weeks from now, it'll be my eighth anniversary on staff here at Sojourn. Um, The 16 years that preceded that, I I worked a series of jobs for for good companies, good bosses, good uh, fellow employees, but they were dead-end jobs to me. There There was... not really much opportunity for advancement. Uh, I I wasn't doing anything that I was at all passionate about. I wasn't doing anything that made use of my skills, at least the way I perceived my skills to be. And it just went on and on and on for 16 years. I can think of other periods in my life where it felt like God's mission was advancing all around me and I was stuck on the sidelines. And, And I remember thinking so many times, I wish I could go on that mission trip. I wish I could take part in that particular ministry. I wish I could take that class that everyone keeps talking about. It's been so transformative for them, but my schedule doesn't allow it. I just can't do it. And I feel like I'm continuously stuck on the sidelines and everyone else is becoming more like Jesus and they're doing all these dramatic things for him. Well, Paul could have felt that way too. Because the greatest traveling evangelist for Jesus in the history of the world... He's now on the sidelines. He's on the bench. He can't go past the, the mailbox at the end of the drive. And it's not like he can whip out his phone and start uh, preaching on uh, Facebook, live streaming it. Hello, Facebook. He that was not an option for him. He's stuck. And so it looks like a promising beginning is going to come whimpering to a very weak end. And then he meets some fellow Jews while he's under house arrest at least he can preach to them. Maybe this is what this is all about. Finally, and ironically, here in Rome, a revival of God's chosen people. But their rejection of his message is so decisive that he says, you can't see, you can't hear, your hearts can't understand. So then what does he do? Well, uh, the book of Acts says here at the end that he preaches Christ to whoever visits him in prison. Other than that, we know from other books in the Bible and we know from history that he spent these years in prison in Rome writing letters to his friends, to his brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, to the churches that he had planted back when he was allowed to roam free and uh, establish churches in different towns. And so in particular, he writes four letters that have made it into our Bible. We know them as the books Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. We might expect these letters to be pleased Help! I'm in jail! They're going to kill me! I need a legal defense fund! Please, someone, get me out of here! But there's not a hint of that. Instead, he says to his friends in Ephesus, Ephesians 1, verse 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Blessed us with every blessing? Paul, you're in Chains. He says to his friends in Philippi, Philippians 4 19, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Takes care of you, supplies all of your needs. Paul, you can't even leave the house. To his friends in Colossae, he says, Colossians 1.23, the good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. Well, you're not going all over the world anymore, Paul. And you're glad when you suffer? To his friend Philemon, he writes on behalf of Philemon's runaway servant. He says in Philemon one verse seventeen, if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I will repay it. Paul, you're writing to a rich guy. Why don't you ask him to fund your legal defense? You are going to repay him? Time after time, he encourages his friends. Why? How? Where is all this gratitude coming from? Why does he seem to feel that even if his life ends in prison, he can somehow finish strong? Well, we can begin to understand by looking at this famous passage that he wrote about Jesus in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 7. He says, God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. Let's stop there a second and consider he's in prison, he purchased our freedom. Paul's a, a cheeky little guy. Hey, can you imagine like uh, the Roman centurion is standing over him like this, guarding him? Paul's down here. He's, he's writing with his, his quill and, and the, the Romans are like menacing, looking down at him. And, and Paul's like, I'm free. Guard's like, no, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. You're in chains. What? No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Chains of darkness. What's going on here? All right, let's start again. God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. And he says in Philippians 3, verse 3, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. He's saying that when when Christ was on the cross and Christ said, it is finished, he was telling us the one thing you could never do, the one assignment I could never give to you, The the one thing that you could not only not finish strong, you couldn't even begin, that thing I've done for you. Satan, sin, death, fear, guilt, shame. I've defeated them all forever for you. And a whole new world, an eternal world, a whole new possibility opens up for everyone who puts their trust in me. It is finished. And because Paul knew that, he could say, I can finish strong because it is finished. Jesus has won our freedom. He's paid for our sin. He's made a way for us to be adopted as sons and and daughters in God's eternal kingdom. And he's assured our immortality by rising from his own grave. Paul may not know exactly what it means to finish his mission strong. Maybe it just means he keeps writing these letters and talking about Jesus to whoever happens to visit him in prison. That would seem odd for God to uh, allow that to happen since Paul is the greatest traveling evangelist the world had ever seen. But Paul is so grateful for what God had done for him through the finished work of Christ that he's willing to trust God with all the rest. And so he says in Philippians 2, Verse 17, I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. He's saying, even if they kill me, I'm grateful. And then we come to one of those famous bumper sticker verses, Philippians 4. We'll read a couple verses before the bumper sticker part. Uh, So we'll begin in verse 11. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You've probably seen that on shirts, bumper stickers, coffee mugs. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, we often get the context wrong here. And so we take this to mean, let's say that you're five foot two with two left feet, but you love basketball and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna make the NBA. I'm gonna be an all-star. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. No, you can't do everything. (laughs) Not in that sense. The context here is Paul is in prison. He's under guard. But he can be content in every situation and trust God with the outcome, no matter how bleak things look. He's learned to be joyful. He's learned to be happy. He's learned to be at peace, at rest in every situation through Christ who gives him strength. Now, here's how it does apply if you're five foot two with two left feet and you love basketball. Because when you are in Christ, when you are grateful for the finished work of Christ, what he's done for you, what his plans for you are, and you're five foot two with two left feet, but you love basketball and you uh, have dinner and then you go outside and you play in the street every night and, and Jenny next door beats you every night at 21, you can come in and you can say, God, thank you for basketball. Thank you for giving me lungs. Thank you for giving me legs to play this game that I love. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Millions and millions of years to play basketball and maybe in 100,000 years, I'm gonna beat Jenny. But, but if I don't, it's okay it's okay. Thank you for giving me all good things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can be content in every situation. Everything, everything, everything that happens to us is exactly what we'd allow to happen to us if we knew all that God knows. And so Paul could write Philippians 1 verse 12, everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. As Paul failed because he's in chains? He's unable to do what he does best, but no, he hasn't failed. He knows that results are up to God. He just has to be faithful. He's finishing strong because it is finished. Paul knows that, Christ has also empowered us with his spirit to work hard, knowing that the results are up to him and we just have to be faithful. He says in Philippians 2, verse 12, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Notice those first two words, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. We don't work to earn our salvation. If you're a note taker, write this down. A lot of people get this this wrong, and we start working with the wrong motivation. Jesus has already won our salvation. He's already secured our eternal inheritance, God's riches at Christ's expense. But his spirit inside of us fills us with the desire and the power to work hard as a humble and grateful act of worship. Science is beginning to understand something about happiness that Paul knew two thousand years ago. If you want to learn more about this, I put a footnote in your bulletin. You can go home and watch a video that talks about this. But science has discovered two things, and the first thing you're going to say, "No duh!" If you've been around for a while, because this is something that many of us have discovered. We start life thinking that we we can work hard to be happy. If we just work hard enough. Someday we'll be happy. If I just work hard enough, then I'll accomplish things I'll be able to feel good about myself. If I work hard enough, I'll prove to so-and-so that I'm not a failure. If I just work hard enough, I'll get the corner office. If I just work hard enough, I'll get the raise that I want, that I need. And so we keep working and working and working, and that day never comes that we are finally happy. There's always something else. If I can just attain this level, if I can just get the next promotion, maybe then I'll be happy. And it never comes. And so science knows this about us now, knows this about the way we were created. You can't work hard enough to become happy. But the second thing that they're beginning to discover about the human being that God created is that. Although we can't work hard enough in order to become happy, happy people work hard. Happy people are not just running around in a field going tra la 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 la. They do that sometimes on their Sabbath, you know, after after hours, whatever. But happy people work hard. It's a natural byproduct of joy, deep abiding joy, gratefulness. This is what Paul knew 2,000 years ago. And he knew that no one but the Christian had such a reason for gratitude, such a reason for joy, for true happiness. He knew that the joy of the Lord is our strength, that the Spirit of the Lord is inside us, inciting us to be grateful for what Christ has done, giving us the desire and the power to work hard as an act of worship. So make a plan to finish your life strong with a grateful heart. Many of you remember a few months ago, I was installed here as a pastor on this platform. All the pastors came up, and Jonah led this installation ceremony, and they gave me a, a, a shepherd's staff, which is in my office, as well as a, a lantern and some salt. And I've got these things in my office. I'm very grateful for them. There's one other gift that you don't know about that, that my, my mom and my wife gave me, and it's this watch. I hadn't had a watch for uh, quite a few years, but I, I wanted a watch, and I I wanted it to be in conjunction with uh, me becoming a pastor here because I wanted something to to put on and and to look at and to know every time I look at it that time is precious. Time is is short. I'm 45 years old. Hopefully God gives me 45 more years with you, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Maybe it's 35, 25, 15, 2, 1. I don't know. I just want to be faithful. I want to finish strong. And what that looks like to me in in my, I would think I I want that to be that uh, I work hard and, and all the pastors work hard. Jonah works hard. You all, the members work hard. And that leads to more people here. Bigger crowds, more people getting saved, more community groups forming, the the giving going up, the the building looking better. Everyone in New Albany saying, man, that Sojourn Community Church, there's some some great people. And maybe that'll happen. We do know that the the church will advance, the kingdom of God will advance, but what he particularly has for this church, we don't exactly know. And maybe it looks like something different than, than we would hope. Maybe if we're faithful to God, we become the most despised people in this city. It's not about seeing a certain result. It's about being faithful, finishing strong. But many of you just need to concentrate on finishing each day strong. Uh, This is a very young church. Many of you are in your 20s, even younger than that. Sojourn itself uh, has not been around all of that long. And, And it it, it can become almost a romantic thing to talk about finishing your life strong. It's sort of like saving for retirement. When you're young, people tell you you need to save for retirement. And you're like, yeah, I, I know that. Intellectually, I know that. I should probably have a 401k or something. But I've, retirement is so far in the future for me, I can't even imagine getting there. And so I'll worry about that at some other point in time. It can be the same thing with, with finishing our life strong. Yeah, I know that. I do want to finish strong for Christ. It's So far in the future, there's other things I want to do. Just think about finishing today strong, tomorrow strong, this week, this school year, this fiscal year, this calendar year, whatever. The day strong, the next step, the next step, the next step. Sometimes I think in in this church, because we're so young, we have a tendency to hop from one exciting thing to the next, one exciting ministry opportunity to the next, rather than sticking with things. Uh, Many of you have heard us talking and you'll hear us talking more in the next couple of months about something that we're going to be launching here this summer called Fresh Stop Market. I think we have a, a, yeah, the logo there. Uh, something that we'll be doing on Thursdays every other Thursday beginning in June from 4:30 to 6:30 p.m. all the way through the first Thursday in November it's kind of like a a pop-up farmers market uh, where local farmers come and they they bring organic produce and people from this community from this church and all the neighborhoods can come and the unique thing about it is that uh, you you buy your groceries you you pay according to your Ability to pay, and if you're on WIC or food stamps or something like that, it's uh, you can use those things to pay for your groceries. If you if you make more uh, than enough money, you can even pay it forward by buying an extra share and, and having that go uh, for free to someone who needs it. We're we're very excited about it. Many of you are very excited about it. Not only participating in it, but even serving at it. And we have plenty of opportunities to serve. Uh, if you maybe can just do 4.30 to 5.30 or 5.30 to 6.30. Uh, If if you work till five, something like that, this would be a great opportunity for retirees. Sometimes retirees come to the church and they say, what, I'm, I'm retired, what could I do for the church? This is what you can do. This is a great opportunity. Maybe you're a student in high school or college and you've got the summer off. This will be a great opportunity for you. Great opportunity for many people. And I know a lot of you are already excited about it and will be excited about it when this thing starts up in June. But here's what I hope. I hope that on November 2nd, the last Fresh Stop Market this year, that we're just as excited about it then. I hope that there are just as many people coming and serving and that it hasn't dwindled down to like three or four servants who are just frazzled and overworked and they've been trying to pick up the slack for everyone else that has kind of drifted off over the months, that we can still be about it. I hope that we can become a church of closers, people who finish strong. And it's not just about Things that we do together as a church family—it's all of your life. It's your home life. It's your marriage. It's it's your parenting. It's uh, let's talk specifically about work outside the home. Many of you work outside the home. In uh, in fact, many of you in this room will spend one third of your life working outside of your home. And so that if that's one third of your life, uh, where you are not. Worshiping Jesus in the way that you work and in the way that you deal with people at work, that's one third of your life that you are not worshiping Jesus. What a witness for Christ it would be if we were a people who conducted themselves in such a way at work that people could say things like that. You know, she is a, she's a Christian, and I don't quite get that. That seems a little weird to me, but I will say this. Everyone on her team loves her, and that team finishes things on time, on budget, and they're great products. You know that guy, he's a Christian. That's so strange. But since he started working for this company, everything seems to run better. The line runs smoother. We're getting stuff done. The customers love us. Maybe there's something to that. But there is something else that might happen to you if you conduct yourself as a Christian in the workforce. You might get fired. You, your coworkers might hate you. They might say, man, she is making us work way too hard. He, he is way, he's not cutting us any slack. We used to have it good before he joined this team and we could all sneak out a few minutes early and we, you know, we didn't wanna to work too hard or anything. Now he's, he's working so hard, he's making everyone else have to work hard. She, she's so honest, I think she's just kissing up to the boss. Maybe your clients will get mad at you if you you stand for certain Christian ethical principles. Uh, They want you to take some shortcuts that you're not willing to take. All kinds of things could happen. That has happened to some of you in this room. That is currently happening to some of you in this room. What does today's text have to say about that? Well, the greatest traveling evangelist of all time is stuck under house arrest and God let it happen. He just did other things. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, he had no way of knowing that the letters would ever even make it to their destination. It's not like he could just hit send on an email. These have to travel great distances. There's robbers, there's bandits, there's all kinds of things that could have happened to these letters. Paul didn't know what was going to become of them. He just knew he could finish strong and trust the results to Christ who had already won the war. Even in Paul's circumstance, he could be grateful for the finished work of Christ on the cross. He could be grateful for the foretaste of, of the kingdom of God. All of these precious friendships, these people that he's writing to, you can sense it in all of these letters. Go home, they're all short. You could read all of these letters this week if you want, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. He's constantly saying, I thank God for this one. I thank God for that one. I thank God for this sister, for this brother. And so he sums up this philosophy and. Philippians 4, verse 8, he says, fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So here's your homework. A couple of things. We'll put them on the screen. You can write them down in your notes if you'd like. First thing is at the dinner table today, share something you're grateful for. Share it with whoever you're eating dinner with. If you're eating by yourself, you're not eating by yourself. Jesus is there. You can tell him. All right. Number two, make it a practice to finish your day telling God five things that you were thankful for today. Make a practice of doing this every day. You've already got one every single day. It's easy. Thank you, God, for my salvation. Thank you for bringing me into your family. Thank you for restoring the relationship that I can now have and enjoy with you and with your people. You can probably come up with four other things each day. Gratitude silences the inner critic, and it opens our eyes to the presence of God in our lives, in this world around us. A heart shaped by gratitude will remind you that you can finish strong because it is finished. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread like this one. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Then he took a cup of wine like this one. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me until I come back for you. In just a moment, you'll come forward, tearing off a piece of bread and dipping it into either wine or juice, as your conscience permits. The cups with wine will have strings of twine tied around them. And if you need gluten-free communion elements, you'll find them in this far corner over here, my left, your right. If you're not a Christian, I'd ask that you don't come forward and partake of this particular ceremony, because it symbolizes a reality that you haven't accepted yet. Instead, I urge you to pray at your seat to receive Christ. You can come forward after this service is over and pray with anyone that's standing around the stage. We would love to talk with you and pray with you about becoming a Christian, being baptized and participating in this ceremony in the weeks to come. If it is not finished for you, if you haven't accepted what Christ did on your behalf, it doesn't matter what you finish strong. Everything you do one day is going to come to nothing and be inherited by someone else or this government. And it will fade away. Accept Christ's work on your behalf. Let's pray.